Last week we looked at Romans chapter 8 verses 1 through 4. We started this new series called Romans 8 and really we're looking at how that God gives us the power to live fearlessly. And uh, last week we saw how that Jesus gives us the, uh, this uh, power from, uh, to, to, to live fearlessly in spite of our past. Uh, in Romans 8, 1, Paul writes, There is therefore now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus, who walk not according to the flesh, but according to the Spirit. For the law of the Spirit of life has set me free from the law of, law of sin and death. For what the law could not do and is weak in the flesh, God did by sending his own Son in the likeness of sinful flesh on account of sin. He condemned sin in the flesh so that the righteous requirement of the law might be fulfilled in us who are walking not according to the flesh, but according to the Spirit. Today we pick up and, uh, where we left off last week in verse 5. And, and as we look at Romans chapter 8, verses 5 through 17, we're going to see how that God gives us the power to live. Uh, he gives us the power to live fearlessly. You see this in verse 15. In Romans chapter 8, verse 15, Paul writes, uh, For uh, God did not give us a spirit of bondage again to fear, Uh, But he gave us a spirit of adoption by whom or by which we cry out, Abba, Father. We do not need to live in fear. And I know that uh, even the requests that I prayed over a few moments ago, uh, there was fear attached to those requests. And I understand them. Uh, I I, I get them and and I have lived them. I understand them. Uh, But... Uh, because of what Jesus has done for us and because of the great gift that God is giving us, we can live fearlessly even in the face of fearful foes, even in the face of those moments uh, that, uh, uh, that threaten our right nows. Uh, we can live fearlessly even though there are ferocious things that are happening around us. And And really what it comes down to in Romans chapter 8, verses 5 through 17, we have the power to live fearlessly because we understand the battle that is raging within us. There is a battle that we must face, and we need to understand that battle. If we're going to live fearlessly as followers of Jesus Christ, by the way, can I just say this? This only works if you are truly a follower of Jesus Christ. It doesn't work if you're not a follower of Jesus Christ. And I don't say that out of meanness. I just say that out of truth, okay? Because Romans chapter 8, verse 15, Paul said uh, that, that God has not given us a spirit of bondage again to fear, but a spirit of adoption by which we cry out, Abba, Father. Well, uh, if we have not received the spirit of adoption, then we're still stuck in the spirit of bondage in fear. If we have not been embraced by God's grace through faith in Jesus Christ, his death on the cross as payment for our sin, his resurrection from the dead as purchasing a new life through him, then we're still stuck in our old identity. We are still stuck condemned by our failures of the past. We are still in bondage, living under the flesh and headed for death. But if indeed we have embraced Jesus and embraced his death on the cross as payment price for our sin, if we've repented our sin and placed our trust in Christ, then we are living a life in the spirit. We are living a life of freedom and we are living life, true life, fully human lives that will never end. 
So today, what we're looking at is how we, as followers of Jesus, are in this battle. There is a battle that rages, and we need to understand that battle. And many of us, what we like to do is we like to identify the enemy. Uh, Today, the Dallas Cowboys are playing uh, some rinky-dink team in Philadelphia. The only good thing about being a Dallas Cowboy today is that I'm not a Washington Redskin. Hey, 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 hey. We had a spirit of unity just a moment ago. We like to identify the enemy. The Dallas Cowboys are playing the Philadelphia Eagles. That is the enemy. That's the enemy. That's who it is. It's not complex. It's not confusing. Uh, When the Washington Redskins get on the gridiron against the the, uh, uh, New England Patriots, the Patriots are the enemy. That's not confusing. That's not debated. We understand that. Um, Ohio State is always the enemy. Or Notre Dame. I know, I know. See, you start talking sports, everybody. That's why sports is the enemy. Anyway, we, you know, when you play in sports, you can identify the enemy. And what we like to do in the church is we like to identify the enemy. And we have. We identify the enemy out there. And we point our fingers to people and things and ideas and philosophies and and cultural expressions out there. And we say, that's the enemy. And I understand that. I really do. Um, And and I get that. Uh, And and in many ways, in some ways, at different times, the enemy is out there. If we were facing ISIL or ISIS, depending on how you want to call them, make no mistake, as a follower of Jesus, ISIS is the enemy. They're they're out to kill us. Okay? Okay. But what we don't often do is identify the enemy within us. See, here's the problem, and here's what Paul picks up in Romans chapter 8, verse 5. Uh, Really, the problem that he's been addressing since chapter 7, he said, there is an enemy, and the enemy is me. In Romans chapter 7, he said, the things that I know I should do, I'm not doing. The things I know I shouldn't do, that's what I'm doing. Poor, miserable wretch. Who shall deliver me from this body of death? He understood that before pointing his finger out there or around here, he looked here. See, we need to understand the battle that we face. And the battle that we face begins in the heart, not in the surrounding culture or the, the, the battle that we face is right here. This is the beginning of the battle. In fact, I would contend that there is no battle greater than the battle that shall happen here, for it is this battle that gives us the fer- fearlessness in the face of ferocity that will certainly happen as we get closer to Christ's return. Now, don't misunderstand me. There are enemies around us. But the only way we're going to be equipped to serve God fearlessly and for his glory is if we deal with the first battle. That's the battle here. Now, what Paul does is he describes uh, this this battle of the mind that, uh, that we all deal with. He's already mentioned it, those who live according to the flesh or those who live according 
to the Spirit. Verse 5, Paul says, or Paul writes, he says, um, uh, for those who live according to the flesh set their minds on the things of the flesh, and those who live according to the Spirit set their minds on the things of the Spirit. For to be carnally minded, to be fleshly minded is death, but to be spiritually minded is life and peace. Because the carnal mind is enmity against God. It's not subject to the law of God, nor indeed can be. So then those who are in the flesh cannot please God. Now, again, let me just try to break this down as quickly and as simply as I can. Paul is talking about believers here. He's talking about followers of Jesus Christ. And he said, as a follower of Jesus Christ, you wake up in the morning and you're either going to give yourself to the flesh and set your focus on things of the flesh, or you're going to give yourself to the Spirit and set your focus on the things of the Spirit. If you set your focus on the things of the flesh, the result is death. You're going to live in a drought-filled wilderness wandering in your soul. But if you set your mind and your focus on things of the Spirit, then you will experience life and peace. Peace being the fullness of life, a satisfied life, contented life. And it begins in this battle that's raging in your mind, in your heart, in in, in your focus, in your disposition, in your will, in your intention, in your purpose. And the biggest question you and I need to answer right now is, do I understand the battle that rages in me? When we talk about flesh, now let me just describe flesh here for a second. Flesh is not the sinew and the muscle and the, and the, uh, the skin and the, and the cartilage and the ligaments on my bones. That's not flesh. Flesh, as Paul is using it here, it's anything where God's not part of the equation or not the ruling principle of the equation. It's anything in my life where God doesn't have first and final say. It's anything in my life where I am dominated by a thought and it's not God. So when I look and let's deal with politics, even though we're going to be so politic weary by the time the end of 2016, uh, but, but let's deal with politics for a second. If my primary motive in voting in politics has to do with me, my bank account, my personal philosophy or preferences, and God is not the ruling principle of that equation, then my mindset is wrong as a follower of Jesus. You see, if my mindset is on spiritual things, then it's going to be ruled by the Spirit of God, even as I vote. Now, I'm not the police of your voting principles, but I can tell you this, as a follower of Jesus Christ, if you are voting principles where God is not at the core center and rule, then you are not voting faithfully as a follower of Jesus Christ. Okay? Now, let me just say, that has nothing to do with being a Republican or a Democrat. I'm not talking about political parties. I'm talking about ruling principles. Politics was the easy one. In your relationships. What's the ruling principle in your relationships? Now, as a father of... Uh, my youngest daughter turned 16 on Friday. My youngest daughter 
turned 16 on Friday. Man, I'm getting old. I listen to the conversations. I stalk Twitter. I look through Instagram. I couldn't handle Snapchat, so I didn't even try. But I look at the conversations that go on and among teenagers today, and those conversations usually in their relationships, and when there's conflict in those relationships, well, you didn't do this for me, or you didn't treat me right, or this is the way you make me feel, and all of those things may be valid at some level, but that's not how we're supposed to be doing relationships. You see, as followers of Jesus, we're supposed to be doing relationships based upon not, not based upon the way we feel primarily, but based upon what the Spirit says primarily. See, when we wake up in the morning and our primary drive and desire is what's in it for me or what do I get out of it or what what can I take away from it, if that's my primary motive and desire, then I'm walking in the flesh and the result is going to be death dealing. But if my primary motive when I wake up in my relationships and in life is what does the Spirit want me to do? How does God want me to proceed? What does the Spirit say in this process? When that becomes my primary focus, then I will experience life and peace. But there's a battle that goes on there. It's not easy. You see, we naturally drift toward the flesh and away from the Spirit. It it shouldn't be that way. I think that the closer we get to God and the closer we get to heaven, we should be naturally drifting toward the Spirit and away from the flesh. But it's been my experience, and as I've watched and I've listened myself and and those around me, I I see that, that many times, if not most of the time, we're more interested in the way I feel or what's in it for me or how I can get the most out of this, that, or the other thing. Guys, that's flesh. But if we focus in on what does God desire, what does God want, how is the Spirit leading, what is the Spirit saying, what does the Word of God teach, when that becomes the ruling principle, then we are headed toward life. But it's a battle. It is a battle. We need to understand that battle. And by the way, Paul makes it very clear in verse 8. He said, if you're in the flesh, you're not going to please God. And as a follower of Jesus, if you're not pleasing God, there's absolutely no way you can be content in your relationships, in your work, or in your life. We've got to please God first, okay? So we need to understand, if we're going to live fearlessly, let's stop blaming everybody else for our discontent, and let's start here in the battle that rages for us. Am I living according to the Spirit, or am I living according to the flesh? We need to understand the battle. But then we need to understand the power that God gives. You see, we are in a battle, no doubt. The flesh uh, fights against the spirit and the spirit fights against the flesh. That's a reality for us. But the good news for us and the good news that is unleashed upon every follower of Jesus is that he gives us the power we need to say yes to the spirit and no to the flesh. Look at verse 9. The Apostle Paul writes, beginning in verse 9, he says, But you are not in the flesh, but in the Spirit, if indeed the Spirit of God dwells in you. <clears throat> now, if anyone does not have the Spirit of Christ, that person does not belong to Jesus. And if Christ is in you, the body is dead because of sin. 
But the Spirit is life because of righteousness. If the Spirit of Him who raised Jesus from the dead dwells in you, He who raised Christ from the dead will also give life to your mortal bodies through His Spirit who dwells in you. So Paul is saying very simply that if you're a follower of Jesus, He has placed the very presence and power of himself inside you. If indeed you're a follower of Jesus, the spirit of God himself resides within you. You are indeed the temple of the spirit of God. God's presence and his power is in you. If indeed you are a follower of Jesus Christ. If you are here today and you would say, well, I've never felt or seen or experienced the Spirit of God working inside me or leading me or empowering me for anything. I've always tried to do it myself. If that's your testimony, then you need to take a long, hard look as to whether or not you're really a follower of Jesus Christ. If the Spirit of God has never led you or directed you or convicted you or compelled you or empowered you or pushed you or pulled you, and you cannot say that the Spirit of God has ever done that, the Bible tells us that you do not belong to Jesus. You're just a good, moral, religious person attending a church. And that's all you are. The same way good people attend the Lions Club. If you are indeed a follower of Jesus, then the Spirit of God resides within you, and that is the power of God unleashed in you. So that we can reckon ourselves dead indeed to sin, but alive to God in Christ Jesus. The power of God resides within us who are followers of Jesus Christ. Simply put, Romans 8, 9 through 11 tells us that it is a lie that the devil made me do it and I couldn't help it. I just can't help myself. I just have to keep on. Look, that's just the way I was raised. I can't help it that I mean to every soul that comes around me. That's just the way I was raised. Look, you're a follower of Jesus Christ. The Spirit of God resides within you to awaken in you, not the works of the flesh, but the fruit of the Spirit which is love, joy, peace, patience, goodness, gentleness, kindness, self-control. Yes, you can help it. One of the things that I've discovered about my own life, and this is me talking, one of the things I've discovered about my own life is that I become very comfortable with the sins that I excuse. And usually they're very subtle sins. Usually they're not, they're they're sins that the normal person in the office wouldn't think, well, that's not a sin. That's just, you know, whatever. That's, you know, that's just being human. That's not a sin. That's just being human. And I found myself becoming very comfortable and numb to the wrongness of those sins. My guess is you have as well. And my prayer for both of us is that the Spirit of God would lay us out and not allow us to be comfortable in our sin, not allow us to excuse it away, not allow us to say, well, that's just being human. I can't help it. That's just the way I am. Oh, no, you're a new creation in Christ Jesus. 
Old things have passed away. All things have become new. The Spirit of God resides within you. You can live fearlessly even though you've got this struggle going on inside you. You can live victoriously even though you've got this sin that uh, dominates so much of your life. You can say no to your sin and yes to God when you live in the power of God's rescuing love. You see, that's really the third thing we need to do. We need to live in the power of God's rescuing love. It's not merely that we have the Spirit of God residing within us. We need to activate that relationship on a consistent, constant, persistent basis. The Spirit of God is already activating that relationship, but the question is, are we holding his hand or are we pushing him away? Now, I want you to listen to verses 12 through 17. The Apostle Paul says, Therefore, brethren, we are debtors not to the flesh to live according to the flesh. For if you live according to the flesh, you will die. But if by the Spirit you put to death the deeds of the body, you will live. For as many as are led by the Spirit of God, these are the sons of God. For you did not receive the spirit of bondage again to fear, but you received the spirit of adoption by whom we cry out, Abba, Father. The Spirit himself bears witness with our spirit that we are children of God, and if children, then heirs, heirs of God, joint heirs with Christ, if indeed we suffer with him, that we may also be glorified together with him. A lot of words, and I don't have any time to really just dig them out, but let me just spell it in simple terms. To live in the Spirit's power means that we live an obedient life. See, you and I, we don't have to say yes to the flesh anymore. We are no longer debtors to the flesh to live according to the flesh. You and I are not constrained by our will uh, to do things where God's not part of the equation. We're not constrained to say yes to things we know God is saying no to. We have the Spirit of God residing within us. We are not debtors to the flesh. We are, however, debtors to God in his love and his grace so that we, by the Spirit, put to death the deeds that are contrary to what God wants. So we must be obedient to God and kill our sin daily. But not only is living in the power of God's love mean that we're being obedient to him, it also means that we live led by him. As many as are, verse 14, as many as are led by the spirit of God, these are the sons of God. Look, if you're a follower of Jesus Christ, that means that you're going to be led by the spirit of God. And it's my prayer that the spirit of God would lead each one of us in a very powerful way so that we can't just uh, flippantly say, "Ah, I don't want to do that. It's my prayer that the spirit of God gets so heavy on this body of believers that we are not able to breathe until we say yes to the Spirit of God. This is the mark of a follower of Christ, that we are being led by the Spirit. Not that we are saying no to the Spirit. It's my prayer that we live connected lives to the Spirit of God. Now, the the last couple of things I would say is, is we living by the power of God's love means that we live obedient, we live led by the Spirit, but it also means we live in that love, in the lap of the Father's love. We just live 
connected to God. I want you to get this because this is huge. This idea that the Spirit of God is the spirit of adoption in us by which we can cry out to God the Father, Abba, Dad, help! You see, the Spirit of God gives us voice before the throne of God. And we'll see this in a couple of weeks, how that the Spirit of God even intercedes in our groanings that we don't even understand. But it's where we are able to cry out to the Father. We have access before God. We have immediate intimacy with God the Father. He is our Abba because the Spirit of God resides within us. The Spirit of God gives us voice with God, but it also speaks to us about who we are. That that we are not alone in this world, that God is intimately, actively engaged in our life, that we are heirs of God, joint heirs with Christ, and that we will experience the full measure of blessing from a holy, heavenly God who loves us, that God is for us, that he hears us, that he's moving his hand on our behalf, and that he's preparing an inheritance for all who cling to him by faith. The Spirit of God empowers us to live fearlessly. By the way, the more we understand that we belong to God and God is with us and for us and we're walking hand in hand in God, the less we're scared of any kind of lions and tigers and bears around us. We're going to see this in a few weeks if God is for us. Who then can be against us? Right now, would you bow your heads in prayer? I do want to end with a what now. Um, In these next few moments, I want you to consider what it is that you need to do, how you need to respond. The what now today begins with loving God. What do you need to do in response to what God's Word says and what His Spirit is speaking to you. What do you need to do in terms of loving God? Well, if I could just give you one application point, today you need to kill your sin and you need to commit to kill your sin every day. You need to kill the, that, that flesh in you that rises up and, and, and screams to get dominant focus in your life. You need to kill sin every day. And Jesus said that if we obey God, we're showing him that we love him. Guys, you've got to kill your sin. I've got to kill my sin. That's how we love God. How do we love others? Well, today, I'm going to challenge you to commit yourself to cultivate the fruit of the Spirit in your relationships. Stop excusing bad behavior with those around you. Love them the way Christ has loved you and demonstrate that you belong to Jesus by cultivating the Spirit's fruit. The fruit of the Spirit, Galatians 5. Love, joy, peace, patience, gentleness, kindness, goodness, and self-control. When these characteristics of love mark our relationships, we know that we're faithfully living fearlessly in our world. That's how we love others. So love God 
by killing our sin daily. Love others by cultivating the Spirit's fruit in our relationships. And the final application is live the mission. How do we live the mission as we've heard from Romans chapter 8, verses 5 through 17? Well, I would just want to encourage you to follow the Spirit's lead. You know, the Spirit of God is a missionary. The the Spirit of God, John chapter 15, Jesus said the Holy Spirit bears witness to Jesus. That's that's the Holy Spirit's role. The Holy Spirit, uh, in John 16, Jesus said the Holy Spirit is going to move around the world and convict the world of sin and of righteousness and of judgment. And, 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 And the picture there is the Holy Spirit moves along the witness of his people to lead people to see their need for Jesus. My, my challenge to each of us today as followers of Christ is to follow the Spirit's lead this week. And again, my prayer for us is that this week we would be so consumed with conviction from the Spirit of God to speak a word of witness to Jesus, to someone that the Spirit puts on our heart, that we just won't be able to breathe until we do it. That sleep will leave us until we say yes to the Spirit and we follow his lead and share the good news of God's grace through Christ to someone this week. I know it's going to be hard and I know it's challenging, but I can promise you this, if we follow the Spirit's lead and we live the mission for God's glory, then lives will be changed and maybe yours will be changed in the process. So let's love God by killing our sin. Let's love others by cultivating the Spirit's fruit. Let's live the mission by following the Spirit's lead. Now, Father, in these moments as we have heard your voice, as we hear your word, it's my prayer that we would respond in obedience to you, that your Spirit would overwhelm us and consume us. God, that you would convict us and compel us and draw us to yourself. Father, there are some in this room today perhaps who have yet to embrace Jesus as Savior and King. I pray that you give them the courage to see themselves as you see them. The great work of the Spirit of God is that he shows us who we are as we really are. And God, I pray that you would do that for all of us here today. I pray as we leave this place today that we would leave empowered to live fearlessly for your glory unencumbered by our own battle, knowing that the victory over the flesh happens each day as we say yes to the Spirit. Now have your way with us and bring glory to your name as we worship and adore you. And it's in the name of Jesus we pray. Amen.